1: And I'm just a super nerd.
0: Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Paleo View. And hi, Sarah. How are you?
1: <laughs> you know, this is episode 301. I do know because last week we talked about it being 300. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about I don't know. It's like when you. St- like you're we're starting like the next hundred do you know what i mean like there's something about that like and here's the next hundred episodes we're beginning today i feel like i feel like we should be celebrating this number as much as we celebrated 300 i do feel like
0: 301 is the college level course where things start (laughs) to get difficult and i will tell you listeners we are living up to that expectation this week um (laughs) Sarah, we have never had 8 pages of podcast notes before.
1: I uh, this I might break the record for the most like time I have spent researching a topic just for the podcast. I mean there've been a few other topics we've covered on the podcast where I've done a ton of research, but often that research is sort of multifunctional right i'm doing the research for a book or for the blog and i'm like rounding out some specific area for the podcast um but this is by far the most i've spent in like in recent times uh researching a topic and i really do kind of i almost feel like my my brain is full and it will not hold any more information so we are not allowed to go into any tangents today <laughs> because there's no there's no ability to think coherently past um, this this level of notes. But it was just one of those things that as I got into it, I normally keep uh, handwritten notes as I'm as I'm researching, and I got into it, well like uh, yo here's a good this is a good quote from this you know this paper this is and I'm like oh once I'm getting into quotes like I just copy and paste is the way this has got to go. Um, but uh, but yeah, this was this was a beast, and in part because um and as our listeners will will discover as we get into it this is one of those fields that has been heavily researched for decades and what happens when you have these sort of large um topics is you end up with you know results from studies that contradict and so it's not just a question of like understanding um you know what do we know but it's sort of understanding the the nuances and understanding consensus and that is always what makes, um, I mean, it's what makes reading science really interesting to me, but it's also what makes it much more time consuming.
0: And I would say that even between you and I, because we started preparation for this last week. Yeah, the words, more than a week ago. Yeah, the words that you used were nuance and consensus. And there was, there was a lot of that that you and I needed to work out because I had information and research that I had done that was different from information and research that you had done. And it was important for us to make sure that we both felt comfortable and confident in giving you listeners the information that really represents, I think, well-rounded consensus and nuance from all perspectives. And so what seemingly seemed like it would be one of those quick topics for us, because in full disclosure, we sometimes avoid questions that will require a lot of in-depth research when we're short on time. And When we're, like, we're short oh. on time. I yeah. mean, those are
1: always really interesting podcasts to do. I don't want to dissuade people from asking no, 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 absolutely about yeah. topics. Um, but they – you know, my – certainly my time to do research varies week to week and some weeks. I mean, this is – I mean, literally I've been researching – this topic for like 10 days. Like we recorded a whole other podcast in between when I started doing the research for this topic. And um and so I just, you know, when the, if it's going to take more than a week to do the research like we I cannot do a podcast that requires that level of research right. every week. Exactly. Laws of physics and all that. Yes. So absolutely we don't we don't want to
0: discourage. We love the in-depth topics, but we just can't do them like Sarah said every week. And so we had originally pulled this like oh, well, this is a soup. like, we can cover this, no problem. And then um, it wasn't, it turns out it's, it's not that easy. So um, before we jump into what will ultimately be two shows because of how much information we need to cover. <laughs> so listeners, hopefully you're, we already know at this point that it's going to be two shows. So hopefully you're um, looking forward to the science of – um skin health and all the things that go into specifically sunscreen as we enter this season of sun. Um, And hopefully, you know, if it is your first paleo view, welcome. Uh, But this is a 301 level college course. (laughs) And you might want to go back to 101 (laughs) before jumping into 301.
1: I think if you literally like did a search for paleo view 101 you would probably come up with a few podcasts that have like 101 in the title
0: yes multiples yeah and then actually we did a series i don't know if you remember it was like 101 102, One, 102. yeah so all right um although i do, okay so before we jump into the topic i want to give a shout out to our awesome listeners who have been sending dms and emails and comments of wonderful nice supportive things after we asked for you guys to share with us some feedback so that we could share it with our listeners every week so sarah i believe that you have one that you want to share
1: right i i very very much do in fact i have more than one let's let's share two all right this one is from yogi red which is probably a handle and not actually a name i'm just i'm just guessing but I don't know. Um, and it reads... Stacy and Sarah have evolved, yet they remain dedicated to their health and continue to care about sharing information with us. I wrote the following review last year, and it still stands. I was AIP for two years, paleoed this last year, and have to troubleshoot what isn't working for me, so I'm still on the journey. It is great to listen to these real ladies who have been maintaining the paleo and AIP lifestyle for over four years. This is important to me because I've been doing it for over a year, and it is heartening to hear Stacy say she's now more tolerant of foods than used, that used to wreck her. That kind of healing is possible and Stacey and Sarah are living proof. I love how they emphasize over and over to eat foods with the idea of providing abundant nutrients to your body to choose foods based on how well they will heal you. It takes the repetition for me to hear it instead of filtering it through my diet mentally and wanting reward food so much of the time. My journey is far from over and I love hearing Stacey and Sarah talk each week about the struggles and the things that have evolved for them over the years. It helps me stay on my path, knowing that things will change for me, even if it takes years. They emphasize inclusiveness, meaning listening to respectfully different viewpoints, and also meaning that you are still paleo if you eat something off the plan occasionally. They emphasize taking in the information and guidelines from the paleo movement and science, and then exercising your own brain to find what works best for you. I identify with a lot of what they have been through, so they are like good friends.
0: We are good friends. Yes. It makes my heart so warm. My cold black heart actually gets a little warm and fuzzy when I hear people say that they feel like we're all part of a community and buddies together. Thank you so much for that wonderful review that you've evidently left left more than once. So <laughs> listeners, if you've left a review once before and you're still listening and you still like us, you can go leave another review and refresh it. How amazing is that?
1: You get to, do you get to edit your old review and repost it, or do you get to – I don't even know how iTunes does that.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's probably something that would be useful to know, but I don't have the
1: answer. <laughs> All right, listeners. Apparently, we need a little schooling on how to leave an iTunes review, but we do love reading your reviews. Um, so I promised a second one. This one is from Ms. Cruzy. My review is long overdue. I have been listening for a year and a half. I first started to binge on old programs and got to see how much they've grown. These ladies are really entertaining and full of knowledge. I love the dynamic of the different personalities of Sarah and Stacy. I also enjoy listening to their challenges and struggles as it reminds me that it is not about being perfect. They make me laugh all the time. I enjoy the down-to-earth, no-nonsense approach and love the science with Sarah. We'll love to hear the kids interviewing the moms. Thanks to Stacy and Sarah for all that you do for us.
0: Gosh, it's been a long time since we've had kids on the show. Maybe once we're through all this in-depth science, <laughs> so we could have them on for a break about something later I mean, and fun.
1: my kids are at that, like, ham stage where they love the spotlight at any point. Mm-hmm. So uh, we could just give them a podcast for a whole episode, just be I like, think, you guys record it?
0: Seriously, if we turned it on video and did it with Wes and Mira... <laughs> <laughs> They would they'd just probably, chit-chat with each probably, other the whole time. They
1: would time. They'd just start talking about, like, superheroes and Lego. And, and space, yes. Yeah. So, it would it would get off topic pretty quickly, I think. I love
0: hearing these viewer feedback, so I just want to say thank you to – was it John? Who was it that recommended this at PaleoFX? It was Tom.
1: Tom. I'm so Tom's honest. idea. Tom's yes.
0: wonderful idea. So hopefully – uh, we can inspire you all to go back and listen to ones that you haven't yet or ones you really loved and you maybe want to listen again, or just to say thank you and we appreciate your kind words. But we have a big show ahead of us, so I think we should jump in. You ready? You got your your nerdy brain. I hat I on? have
1: so many notes right now. So many. Okay. Do you want to introduce the topic?
0: Sure. So I will say that this topic came about not selfishly from me. However, <laughs> <laughs> um, I do get a lot of questions. So because I am doing a focus on healthy skin care, um, I get a lot of questions on that in general. And for the most part, I... I'm not an incompetent person. I can do the research and I can answer questions. And um, this topic keeps coming up because I think we are all affected by the sun and our skin. Like every single human has skin. Every single human is going in the sun. And there's a lot of nuance as we're going to get into about where... Things are um, important to be aware of from a good perspective and not. And so the, the specific question that spawned this that I sent over to you that I thought would be, oh, we can easily address this, um, was about something that we're going to get more into. But I feel like we need to lay the groundwork on safe sunscreen. So full disclosure, I talked about on the cruise, our family is very super fair, very, very fair. Um, Matt has moles that run in his family, so all the boys have moles, and then My Fair Skin and A History of Cancer. So I'm particularly um, aggressive with our use of sunscreen because we burn so easily. Now, I will say switching to paleo and reducing inflammation in our bodies in general has made us less prone to to burning very quickly. So we're not going to talk about that today, but that is something to consider that when you're healing your body, all different kinds of things change. But that does not change the fact that we are very fair and we use sunscreen a lot. So um, with that said, um, I have had to look into how to keep us safe with sunscreen, what actually works, but also what isn't introducing additional negatives when we're using it. And so that's what we want to talk about today, um, both from the perspective of what kind of sun is good, um, what kind of sun is not good. So if you're going to use a product for sun protection versus, let's say, you know, a, a UV shirt or different things like that, which we also do, um, we want to address the the best and safest ways that both from a science perspective as well as from a practical perspective, because not everybody wants to be walking around with like that white nose. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: such a good look. I don't yeah, know what you're talking
0: so about. Uh, yeah. So we don't want, we don't want you to feel like that's your only option. <laughs> so with that said, um, it, it's amorphosized from a multitude of questions, one of which we'll get into the details of later, but Sarah's going to lay the groundwork on some um, foundational information that I think is essential before we can move forward into nuances of it.
1: Yeah. So let's just start with like, what are risk factors for skin cancer? Because I think that when we talk about sunscreen, um, that is the, the dominant motivator for many people. I mean, there's also just like sunburns are not fun. So there's the idea of just preventing, you know, several days of pain also could be a motivating factor. But I think that when you, when you hear, Dermatologists say to use sunscreen or your doctors or you know, whatever uh, sort of public health professionals. That is the number one rationale for for sun for using sunscreen is uh, preventing skin cancer. So definitely, sun exposure, is a risk for skin cancer, but it's different for the different forms of skin cancer. So there's basically three forms. Melanoma is the most dangerous. It has the highest mortality rate and the highest, uh, it has like a high metastasis rate. So it has a lot of complications that come with it. And then there's squamous cell, carcinoma and basal cell carcinoma, which uh, have much lower uh, mortality rates, much lower metastases rates. So typically for, with squamous cell and basal cell carcinoma, um, the cancer cells can be removed and then typically the person's just fine, whereas melanoma, it's a, it's a much higher risk and a much more complicated uh, cancer treatment protocol. So with uh, squamous cell carcinoma and basal cell carcinoma, it's the the highest risk is, is really total... UV exposure uh, cumulative to date. So there's a variety of studies showing that the more sun exposure you get, and especially burning sun exposure, um, the higher your chance of squamous cell or basal cell carcinoma. With melanoma, it's not actually so much related to total UV exposure, but more sporadic Uh, intense exposure. So that pattern of I don't go out in the sun very much, but then I do go out in the sun and I get a sunburn. That pattern of sun exposure is more strongly linked with melanoma. And what's really interesting about melanoma is people tend to get melanoma on parts of their bodies that are not uh, exposed to suns. So men will typically um, get melanoma um, on their, their trunks and women will get it on their extremities. Um, but it's, it's sort of an interesting, like it's a much more complex situation. So that sort of being said, it is a little bit more nuanced than just, you know, total UV exposure equals, you know, these um, sort of uh, less severe forms of skin cancer and sporadic exposure with burns equals this more um, sort of high risk, you know, higher mortality skin cancer because studies sort of have looked at people living in different areas of the world and tried to dissect, dissect risk. And it really isn't as simple as Uh, sun equals skin cancer risk. Um, There's a variety of other risk factors that are are very sort of well understood. Um, One of them being vitamin D deficiency, being a very, very strong risk factor, not just for skin cancer, but for all cancers. Um, Various chemical exposures, um, having a weakened immune system. So, you know, that science is done in the context of HIV AIDS. um, But because cancer is really caused by a dysfunctional immune system, you can translate that out. There are certainly other cancers um, that are associated with autoimmune disease, for example, because the dysfunctional immune system that's happening in one increases the risk of a dysfunctional immune system occurring in the other. Uh, Smoking dramatically increases risk of all cancers, including skin cancer. Um, Skin cancer is also strongly related to family history and uh, having a fair complexion or being a redhead also increases risk. That's why Stacy's so.
0: <laughs>
1: Assertive. <laughs> Assertive, that's it, that's it. Um, and um, having moles increases risk of melanoma specifically, not basal cell or squamous cell carcinoma. And so th- there really is this much more complex environment when it comes to um, skin cancer. The darker your skin, the lower your risk of skin cancer generally. So it really becomes this, this very uh, – it's, it's a complex collection of factors that increases risk of skin cancer. But looking very, very specifically at sun exposure as a risk factor, there really does seem to be – there really is a much bigger effect – from burning compared to tanning for all forms of skin cancer. So looking at various studies, so for example, uh, one study showed that uh, a sunburn increased risk of melanoma by 2.4 times, which is a really, really big increase, but it still increased risk of squamous cell carcinoma by 32% and basal cell carcinoma by 48%. What was really interesting about that paper is it only showed a link between sunburns and skin cancer in men and not women. So men are a much higher risk of skin cancer. And um, there's a lot of studies that when they dissect men versus women, the risks for men for any given factor are higher than the risks for women. Um, One of the questions that you asked, Stacey, as we were researching this was, you know, is it true that your like childhood sunburns is actually what increases your risk of skin cancer later on in life? Um, So that's a myth that that I've heard before. Um, And I've also heard just that like the more sunburns you have in your life, the higher your risk. And it definitely seems to be the latter. Um, There was one study that looked at Sunburns, sunburns as a child, and how that related to um, melanoma later in life. And overall, there was no increase, but there was this weird like peak age group in your like 20s where maybe there was a slight increase in, in risk. So like childhood sunburns increased risk of melanoma in your 20s, but not overall in your entire life. Which is sort of an interesting statement because it's sort of showing that. And melanoma doesn't usually show up that early. So it's sort of this like rare form of melanoma that's coming very, very early in life might be directly related to childhood um, sunburns. But overall, it's not impacting lifelong risk of melanoma. Um, and so what's there's this collection of studies showing um, – that sunburn increases risk of all forms of skin cancer, but melanoma is a, is a much bigger effect. Um, there does seem to be for basal cell and squamous cell carcinoma, there does seem to be a dose response. So the more often you sunburn, the higher your risk of cancer, uh, it's, it's true for melanoma as well, but it's actually a stronger a stronger effect for um, basal cell and squamous cell carcinoma. So we do have this this collection of studies showing that um, even though there's a lot of risk factors, that sun exposure is a risk factor, and it's very very likely. Um, it's very, very likely a collection of factors. So it's this sun exposure in the context of not getting a lot of antioxidants in the diet, in the context of increased systemic inflammation due to chronic disease, in the context of vitamin D deficiency, uh, in the context of more chemical exposures in the rest of our lives. So it, it's, it's very, very likely this confluence of events that's increasing risk. So it's um, I think it'd be interesting to take a little aside here and uh, differentiate between what is a tan and what is a Sunburn. I mean, besides the, the fact that most people are sort of familiar with, well, like a tan makes me look, uh, you know, thinner, whereas a sunburn is red and it hurts. Um, beyond that sort of qualitative difference in how a suntan versus sunburn feel, they're really caused by two different mechanisms. So, uh, tanning is caused by a type of skin cell called melanocytes producing uh, this skin pigment called melanin and the melanin being um, transferred closer to the top of your skin. So melanin is uh, a dark pigment. So it is the you know brown of a, of a suntan. But also you know, people of African descent have a lot more melanin in their skin than people from like Northern European descent. That melanin is the, the um, compound that is the difference between our skin colors is the amount of melanin in our skin. And melanin, having a lot of melanin in your skin is actually a really good thing because it actually helps to uh, protect from damage from the sun. So it actually acts as uh, a sort of endogenous sunscreen. So it actually blocks UV rays from damaging the DNA in our skin cells. And that is why people with uh, darker complexions have lower risk of skin cancer than people who are fairer. Burning is not related to tanning. So like the, the tanning is specifically like an upregulation of a you know, protein by a particular type of cell. Um, burning is really just cellular damage. So, um, you know, anytime you're getting sun exposure because these high energy light from the sun, UVA and UVB, actually damages DNA, you'll always have that energy kill the odd cell. Um, and that's something that our bodies can heal from very, very easily. We're used to like, we constantly are regenerating our skin, but when you have a lot of sun exposure, um, and you have more cells, uh, are actually dying, it actually triggers an inflammation response. Um, so you end up with pain, swelling. That's what actually causes the, the heat and the redness is actually inflammation. So it, it really comes from the extra blood flow, the extra white blood cells into the area to repair the damage from this sort of cusp of enough dead skin cells. And that's actually what makes the skin so red. So the difference between getting a tan and versus, and versus getting a sunburn. Typically just has um, a lot to do with how susceptible you are to burning and the total amount of energy deposition into your skin, so that is how intense the sunlight is and how long you were out in it uh, versus how how fair are you right so how easy is it for that um, that UV light to actually damage your skin cells so that is that is the formula, and certainly some people are much more susceptible to burning than others, and there does seem to be a link between how susceptible you are to getting a burn, especially as a child, and skin cancer risk as well. So um, being somebody who's more susceptible to getting a burn is, is definitely not great for for a variety of reasons. But so as I mentioned, that melanin... However, um, being a
0: redhead and just being awesome offsets the downside.
1: I mean, pros and cons for everything, right? <laughs> It's always so, you know, when your pros list is like amazing, and you just have a couple of con- that's fine. It's totally fine. I really wanted to start there with like what actually causes skin cancer, um, in large part because there is this sort of growing um, uh, sort of conspiracy theory <laughs> type websites and and uh, reports that sunscreen use actually increases risk of cancer. And what's really interesting and you dive into the scientific literature, it's one of those cases of like, you know, this is this is always the part of like a really good like pseudoscience article or a conspiracy theory article, is if there's a grain of scientific truth to everything. And the grain of scientific truth is that prior to like nineteen (laughs) eighty there was actually a link between sunscreen use and skin cancer. And it was probably attributable to the fact that there were a lot of chemicals that were used in sunscreens back then that have since been removed from sunscreens. Um, The chemicals themselves were inert, um, but when they reacted with the light from the sun, they actually uh, turned into carcinogens. So prior to the 1980s, Uh, using a lot of sunscreen increased your risk of melanoma, the more serious form of skin cancer, by like 2.3 times, which is a a pretty large effect. But what's been really interesting is that like through the 1980s, that association – sort of constantly started decreasing and by the early 1990s there was no longer any association between sunscreen use and cancer in- skin cancer incidents specifically um so now it, neither melanoma nor basal cell or squamous cell carcinoma are associated with sunscreen use um which is like it's it's that's great, (laughs) right? I mean, that means that that myth that uh, we should avoid sunscreens because it causes cancer is definitely no longer true. Um, What's interesting, though, is um, there's a collection of studies that have tried to look at um, prevention of skin cancer by sunscreen use, and they also don't show a very strong effect. So it, it may have something to do with how people are using sunscreens. They're using sunscreens, to spend more time outside. It may have to do with the type of sunscreen they're using. It's sort of hard to, to parse the knowledge that increased sun exposure and increased exposure to UV radiation is definitely linked to increased skin cancer incidence, except that sunscreens, which block that exposure, might not Decrease, And it's one of the reasons why um, over this episode and next week we're going to get into the nuances of different types of sunscreen because that may be the key difference here. Um, But there's also a really interesting benefit to non-burning sun exposure. So there are some people who believe that the reason why there's not a um, link between sunscreen use and decreased cancer risk is because – of people getting so overboard with sunscreen that they're actually losing out on some of the benefits of moderate, right, non-burning sun exposure. So the the most important of this is probably vitamin D. So we know, for example, that approximately seventy-five percent of Westerners are vitamin D deficient, um, and that is in part because Things like inflammatory diets and high-sugar diets can help deplete our bodies of vitamin D. It's in part because we're spending more time indoors than we ever have before. Uh, it's in part because when you're eating meat from um, you know, feedlot-raised animals, animals raised inside, their meat doesn't contain any vitamin D. So we've, we've really switched the quality of our meat in the last 50 years. Um, and it, it could also be the fact that, that Sun has some other – some other benefits to our health. There is a stress-relieving um, aspect to being out in the sun. There is a circadian rhythm entrenchment aspect to being out in the sun. And we know that, for example, mismatched circadian rhythms are an independent risk factor for cancer and cardiovascular disease. So there is actually some some benefit to getting some regular sun exposure um, compared to being a complete what's called a sun avoider, so somebody who won't go outside ever and there was actually a recent article that compared um, life expectancy so they weren't just looking at skin cancer they were looking at all different kinds of outcomes so they were just really looking at um, you know all cause, cause mortality a general general um, measurement of, of health and longevity and so what they were able to say was like their their high sun people who who did a lot of, you know, tanning and that type of thing, they did have an increased risk of these skin cancers, but they actually had um, lower risk of a lot of other health problems like cardiovascular disease. And this was actually a quote from the paper. Uh, Non-smokers who avoided sun exposure had a life expectancy similar to smokers in the highest sun exposure group. So it equated um being a smoker with avoiding the sun. So if you avoided the sun, that was about as damaging to your overall health. And in terms of risk, I mean obviously it, it's it's a different different mechanisms. Um, and so their their thought is that this this likely has to do with, with vitamin D. And that's that's probably the reason behind that. Um, although there are potentially some other benefits to, to sun exposure that we don't completely understand and I'm we will certainly get into some of that um, as as we go on in this episode but so overall we can kind of make this 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 broad strokes it's um, important not to get sunburns sunburns increase risk of skin cancer it's better to use a sunscreen and get sun exposure if you would otherwise sunburn. But moderating sun exposure is also really important. So getting some sun exposure where you're actually, you know, letting the, the sun rays hit your skin so you, that you're making vitamin D, um, that that type of sun exposure, as long as you're not going to the point of burning, also has benefits. So we, we know there's tremendous benefits to being out in nature, to being outside, to getting sun exposure. So whatever we can do to... Uh, experience that without exposing ourselves to a sunburn is going to be really beneficial.
0: So I will say, like you said, I am super aggressive because in our family, we can go from getting sun exposure to getting a burn very quickly. Um, Finn seems to have more Matt's type of skin so that it quickly morphs to a tan, which is kind of interesting given that you were saying that there's different mechanisms. But um, for Wes Cole and I, like we never get a tan. Like there is no such thing as a tan. There's like a few more freckles, but um, like there, it, the melanin in our skin just does not exist. Like it's um, – so for me, I – If I wear sunscreen, I have to reapply and I have to do it for the whole time that I'm in the sun because even the amount of sunscreen that I'm wearing, like it will wear off and I will get some sun exposure. And just if I start to feel it, it's too late. Like, and I know Uh for a a lot of people, that's not the case, but um I think it's, it's interesting too, because we have so many people with autoimmune diseases. And I think, um, that obviously plays into things. I've heard that, um, I've, I've heard a lot of these questions from people who have lupus, who have, you know, an extreme sensitivity to the sun and making sure that they're not exposing their skin, um, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think so many things go into how to protect yourself, but I will say, you know when i'm in the convertible and i'm driving to and from work and it's 10 minutes i don't put on sunblock i do have and i'm i'm actually going to mention it when we talk about titanium dioxide later which is this whole other thing that we're going to get into I, I do wear something on my face um just because i i don't want to be like the old lady um at the age of 40 with with aging and all that kind of stuff which can happen really quickly if you have fair skin and your body is taking in the sun more intensely than someone else, which is essentially what's happening. So um, yeah, that's all I have to say about that other than we're super fair.
1: Womp, womp. I I do want to talk a little bit about one of the things that you mentioned off the top was that you have noticed that since adopting an anti-inflammatory nutrient-dense paleo diet that you actually don't burn quite as easily. And I, I want to kind of get into some of the mechanisms behind that, because this is something I find really, really interesting. So uh, our skin is sort of packed with natural antioxidants. So because our our skin is... This organ that is like chronically faced with the outside environment, like it is chronically being assaulted by everything in our environment. I mean, not just the sun, but uh, soaps, detergents, um, just uh, abrasive, right? Like you rub against something that's actually, you know, damaging some skin cells to just – you know, touch something gently. right mean, Obviously, it's not as damaging as if you scrape yourself, but we're our skin is sort of constantly having to regenerate and and work to maintain that barrier between the inside of our bodies and the outside of our bodies. And so in our skin, our skin is packed full of really cool protective mechanisms that are are designed to help us heal really quickly. So, for example, you know, we have a, you know, not like the gut, which houses, you know, about 70% of our immune system, but we do have uh, a, a fair amount of sort of immune barrier happening in our skin. So that that's one of the reasons why um, if you scrape yourself, it, you know, a scrape will turn really, really red and puffy really quickly. Um, that's because the immune system is like right there to, to react really, really quickly. Um, and in terms of, of sun exposure, We have – because oxidants are produced as uh, high energy light from the sun, so so UV light from the sun uh, interacts with our skin. And we actually have a variety of antioxidants that are uh, in our skin, for example, uh, carotenoids that are in our skin at any given time that can help to repair that damage. And there's actually some really interesting studies showing that a higher plant phytochemical diet, so eating a lot of antioxidant, uh, you know, berries, uh, you know, leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, these uh, fruits and vegetables that are just really, really packed with antioxidants can actually reduce the chance of getting a sunburn. So it increases how much UV radiation it would take for us to get a sunburn and there's been a few studies that have actually looked at individual phytochemicals and one of the ones that has one of the, the biggest effects in terms of um protecting our skin from uv damage is called astaxanthin um which there there's actually you know some studies looking at you know, potentially, uh, you know, putting this in a capsule, you can get this in supplement form. Um, But it's also, you know, found in like red and purple type fruits and vegetables. So eating some berries will give you some of this as well. Um, But it is very, very strong. It's much stronger than than, uh, beta carotene or than lutein, even though those are also very, very good at uh, dealing with the the oxidants that are produced in our skin in response to, to UV light. So that's a really really cool. Um, oh, I was gonna also say you can get astaxanthin in a lot of seafood. It's also found in seafood, so it's not just a, a plant um, antioxidant. Um, we also have these uh, enzymes called photoliases, who are, th- and this is this is really cool. This was stuff that I did not know before I started researching uh, for this podcast. They are activated by visible light. Uh, so the you know the entire rainbow of visible light and there's different photolyases that are activated by different wavelengths of visible light, and they actually heal DNA damage caused by UV light. Like that's that's their job. That 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 whole enzyme, what it does, is it literally goes in and repairs um, uh, single-stranded DNA breaks. So it literally goes goes in and repairs that damage, um, single-stranded DNA breaks are uh, typically what you get when your sun exposure is on the lower end. So like the the UVA radiation will do single-stranded breaks, but also if you're tanning, that's usually the type of DNA damage that you have. It's much easier to repair in large part because we have these amazing little photolyase enzymes who do that job for us. And it seems to be, you know, you can sort of evolutionary understand That, uh, you know, if you're going outside, the sun has all different kinds of wavelengths, right? So we're getting exposed to all these different kinds of light. So it's really cool that these enzymes actually use the energy from visible light to turn on to heal the damage from UV light, because normally you would get exposed to all of this all at once. And so even though, um, you know, we do have these collection of studies showing that, at least with basal cell and squamous cell carcinoma sort of total uv exposure over a lifetime is is one of the the risk factors it's really important to understand that you know we do have these adaptations um that allow us to spend time outside and heal from that so it's it's not like Every time you go outside, it's just like sun radiation on your skin and all these bad things are happening and it just – the damage builds up and, and that's why, you know, we get old and get cancer. We do have all of this ability to heal from that. And so part of being able to utilize this is, you know, what this tells us is a high antioxidant diet is really, really beneficial and um, having – time you know it's not being so chronically outside so having some time inside to allow time for skin to heal allow time for those antioxidants to be replenished can be very very helpful so definitely it falls back into moderating sun exposure and and still i think the argument for using a sunscreen when you can't moderate exposure is extremely high but it it is kind of nice to sort of emphasize in this entire conversation that our bodies are amazing things and they do have ways of repairing and uh, protecting ourselves against a lot of this damage.
0: I'm curious if you think that there's less of the proton uh, photo, what'd you call it?
1: Photolyase.
0: Yes. That's what I said. If there's less of that in fair skinned people, um, Because if we're not recovering the same way, or is it just that we've increased our chance because we burn so easily? You you know what I mean? Like I'm wondering what that meant.
1: I mean, I haven't seen any papers that have tried to measure the amount of different photolysis in different people. Um, It may just be that without as much melanin in your skin, the UV can actually basically it gets deeper and there's nothing to to block it so the the damage is higher in a shorter period of time because you don't have that that melanin to block it. So it may just be that spending, right, your five minutes outside might be my 20 minutes outside. And so your photoliases are are, um, basically, and and natural skin antioxidants have more to do with less sun exposure compared to somebody with more melanin in their skin. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it it definitely makes sense. It cracks me up because I see it in particularly Cole, like we were outside working in the garden this weekend and it was about five minutes and it was like, he would not leave the shade. No matter what we we asked him to do, he just acted like the world was going to end if he had to get back out of the shade again. And I, I totally get it. Like I, there's a trigger that happens and you fair-skinned people will understand, like there's just some sort of, um intuitive biological response that tells you like, do not go back into the
1: sun. Well, he also strikes me as the kind of person who like overheats easily. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, so that's, an that, that would be a whole other benefit to being in the shade is it's definitely a few degrees cooler. Yes.
0: Well, he was, he was just a puddle of wine. It was quite a memorable (laughs) experience. Anyway, moving right along.
1: (laughs) Um, well, I, I know we're going to talk more about sunscreens uh, in part two of this episode, but I didn't want to, like, do all of this talk about, like, sunscreens are good if you can't moderate sun exposure, but getting some sun exposure, um, even if you're very fair, is still good. Just make sure it's not to this point of burning. I, like, I didn't want to just, like, and, and, da, da, da wait till next week. Um, so let's just <laughs> – Let's I think just, we should just leave it right there. I think Matt just <laughs> cut off the show right there. Oh no, let's let's give just at least um a little little hint of um what to look for in a sunscreen and then we'll get into this in a lot more more detail next week. Um but there's really uh, two different types of of sunscreens, uh chemical sunscreens and physical sunscreens. And and there are a lot of um conflicting articles on the internet about which one's better and what are the pros and cons? It basically boils down to physical sunscreens. They're mineral-based, so they're uh, non-organic, um, and they reflect UV radiation. So that's that's how they work is they basically act like a reflector. And chemical um uh, sunscreens are, there tend to be organic molecules, um, the, they're man-made molecules, and they work by absorbing the UV radiation and dissipating it as heat. Um, and so there's, you know, as as a what's better between a reflector and an absorber, if you just look at it that simplistically, um, they, they both have benefits. They're, the excess heat that is caused by a chemical sunscreen can cause uh like darkening like brown spots on your skin so definitely if you're somebody who is susceptible to getting sunspots a chemical sunscreen is not a good way to go um but but the problem more in terms of chemical sunscreens is not like how they work it's the fact that this is a, a, a a class of chemicals that um, many of them have in recent years discovered to have a high skin irritant or skin allergic reaction rates. And many of them have now been identified as endocrine disruptors. So we now know that they can interact either with uh, sex hormones or even with thyroid hormones. And, you know, when we're talking about you know, getting rid of BPA plastics and right – there's there's so many endocrine disruptors in our world. Um, using a sunscreen that has an endocrine disruptor um, does not make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, we're, we're starting to understand uh, – you know, I've read a couple of articles that say, you know, oh, you'd have to use this sunscreen every day for 277 years in order to hit the same effect as an endocrine disruptor in these, you know, rats in these studies – and uh, and this is where I want to just kind of take a step back and go, you know, we can learn a ton from animal studies, and I am a really strong believer in not dismissing that data. But we knew, do need to understand that um, in toxicology studies, we are much more sens- sensitive, typically – than the animals that are being studied on, so you can't always do a uh, mass calculation and go, well, you know, we're X hundred times heavier than a rat, therefore we would need to consume that many hundred times more of this chemical to cause the same effect. And we also, you know, have – drawing that com- that comparison of, uh, okay, so if you know this. A lab rat is is exposed to this much of this toxin and they have this horrible thing happen, we don't necessarily know what this chronic low level – that doesn't mean a chronic low level is safe, right? A chronic low level can still be a contributor, especially in the context of all of the other uh, sort of health challenges that are wrapped in with a sort of modern society in Western countries, um, that little bit of endocrine disruption that might be coming from BPA plastics, right, we have an understanding now that that is actually linked with health problems. And we're starting to get that with a lot of these chemicals, oxybenzone being the one that's sort of been best studied and is certainly uh, considered uh, the worst offender. But there are some other uh, active ingredients in, in chemical sunscreens that have also been uh, linked to problems. They can uh, include avobenzone, octisylate, octocrylene, homosalate, and octinoxate. And I'm super proud of myself. For I am those. super
0: impressed because I was looking at that list like, is she going to say them?
1: <laughs> I, I just expected to completely trip over my tongue saying all of those, but I just awesome. did. So Um,
0: the other thing that I want to mention that really has nothing to do with humans, but is also important, you know, we talk about the earth and sustainability and grass fed farming and, and all the things that are so important. Oxybenzone, as well as all those other chemicals, I'm not going to say as well as Sarah did, have also been shown to contribute to killing the reef or causing changes to the coral reef that take hundreds of years and Hawaii has recently banned chemical sunscreens so you're going to need to use a physical mineral-based sunscreen if you go to Hawaii and I would also suggest that if you're going anywhere with beautiful ocean life to to make an effort to do that even if you're not concerned about it on your body it's it's also affecting the earth which i think is you know sarah you and i always try to come at it from the perspective of of different angles and to me um my family is they they dive i don't they're like certified divers and
1: that's so cool super
0: cool and when i I would love
1: it's in it's one of those like I've never been able to figure out how to pop my ears under the water, but it's one of those things that I like love the idea of, even though I'm like kind of terrified of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I would, my, I would I love mean, to. My be a sisters,
0: diver. my sisters were certified scubas um, when they were twelve and ten years old. So they've been diving their whole life. And I was talking to them about Chemical sunscreens and how it's harming the reef. And I? They were immediately like, "I'm switching." Like to them, it wasn't about chemical in their bodies; it was the realization of of what it's doing to the earth. It's as bad well. for so, the environment. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah.
1: So we'll definitely talk more about mineral sunscreens as the better option in part two of this episode. But I just kind of wanted to to uh, introduce that concept this week, because I know that the weather's getting warm, my kids have already started swim team, they're off of school this week for summer vacation. So um, so I, I realized that um, it is this, t- tis the season for trying to figure out what sunscreens are best. So I, I wanted to just introduce the concept of mineral sunscreens as being a superior choice now. But of course, we'll we'll dig into this in, in more detail next week. Awesome. So uh, the other thing that I want to mention to
0: you is even despite rigorously going through these notes with you back and forth for a week, one of the things that you mentioned um, really rang true. And I I like to tell you when your science is accurate. Um, So you said that chemical sunscreens increase dark spots. And Mm. it has been something that's happened that over the last two years, since I've switched to safer sunscreen, um, or physical mineral based, um, my freckles have been less intense and Matt has actually noticed it like at the height of last summer. He loves when my freckles come in, um, as a true husband of a redhead, he looks forward to it every year. And he even said to me last year in the height of summer, like, I don't know, like what's going on with your freckles? Like, where are they? And I, had no idea that there was this link between chemical sunscreen and dark spots because now it makes sense to me that by not using a chemical sunscreen, those what are dark spots, that's what freckles are, um, aren't coming out as pronounced or as intensely in color. So,
1: I think it's really interesting because there's actually only about a 5% difference in the amount of heat generated using a chemical sunscreen versus a, a physical sunscreen, which is, is not a big difference. But it's actually enough that there have been a variety of studies showing that uh, chemical sunscreens increase hyperpigmentation, whereas physical sunscreens don't.
0: Yeah, it's definitely uh, interesting to me. And, and one of the things I hadn't put two and two together until now. So look at that. every Everybody, we're, we're all learning something new today. So <laughs> I look forward to continuing this conversation and we're going to get into some more nuances of light exposure. I'm not going to refer to it as sun exposure because we're going to get a little more nuanced um, as well as the the science of the different kinds of options when you're going from chemical to mineral. So super excited to come back at you with more information next week. I know that we're keeping you waiting. Um I will say that if you are going to a Memorial Day barbecue and the pool and all that kinds of stuff this weekend, um, just hopefully this information has has helped you prepare for making some choices. I personally look for sunscreen that is non-nano, and we're going to talk about that next week, um, as well as mineral-based. And I would highly discourage the use of um Pro, not propane. Pro, <laughs> pro. <laughs> Don't put propane on your body. Um, aerosol. Oh yeah. Because of the environmental factor that we're yeah. talking about as well. So, um, just a couple of other things that I want to add. If you're if you're going out and looking for sunscreens, I, of course, personally use Beauty Counter, but there are a lot of safer sun lotion options these days but those are just the things that i would look for on the label um if you're like oh my gosh all i have in my cabinet is chemical and if the pool is opening this weekend what should i do and you're running to a store so stay safe everybody the sun and, will,
1: sun will get you and stay tuned for next week <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal.
0: You ready to jump in? Thank you, listeners. Um, by the way, uh, that was awkward transition, Matthew, just because we want to make you have as many cut points as possible. Sure.
1: <laughs> It's because we're recording Monday, so there's no pressure. That's what it is. Also, when the fancy, there's pressure.
0: I've been, like, reducing my coffee intake, and I really feel it. It's
1: a sad story.
0: I know. Well, it's good for you, the whole thing, you know. So I didn't have it at all, and then I had less of it than I, you know, would normally have today. So I think by the end of the day, my brain's like, yep, I'm done.
1: No, you should talk. You should totally jump in and, and add pizzazz.